Welcome to Soundbreaker. In today's episode, we're talking to Michael Gubman, who is a groundbreaker in the music tech industries. Thank you for joining us. And for our listeners who might not be available, I'm sorry, for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Sure, sure. Thanks so much for having me, Bob. My Love pleasure. The podcast and happy to join. Uh, so my name is Mike Gubman, and I'm the CBO, Chief Business Officer at uh, Supernova. And we are a innovation studio that helps companies inside the music tech space and beyond figure out where they're going next. That could be a new product launch. That could be a new line of business. That could be connecting with new types of customers, uh, either business to business or business to consumer. And we've been doing that uh, together as a as a product studio for about a year or so, uh, with a lot of experience behind us. But love to see this space grow, and excited to connect with more people in music tech as our industry continues to grow. Great, I you know I have plenty of questions. Just a quick thing. So you like the connect wire, or the connection between the VC or the investors and uh, the startup? Am I right? Sometimes we do that in terms of helping raise capital. Uh, other yes. times, the the business is doesn't necessarily need capital, but what they need is our expertise uh, in building new product, in building new product marketing, and in helping uh -huh. them figure out how to go to market. Okay, so you give them that kind of shaping. It's like, hey, that's right. You need to do this. We need, to, yeah, the shaping and the preparation to get out there. And that's set up exactly the strategy right. to get it to the marketplace. Yes, got it. That's got exactly it. right. We have experts right. in product marketing, product distribution, and uh, organic and, and growth media. So you the missing important puzzle, my friend. So you are definitely well needed. <laughs> well needed in the industry. <laughs> I'm going to end you. up coming to you. Um, <laughs> my, Michael, can you take us a little bit back, if you don't mind, back in time uh, in your early uh, teenage young days and how did the whole music tech love developed and how did you all start if you can give us a little bit of background and history sure i've been doing this basically my entire life um when i was 11 years old i heard about the term ethnomusicology and it was like a lightning bolt went off and it was said this is all i ever want to do with the rest of my life and you know people may have heard that term it really means the study of music culture and people all together right how do human beings create and enjoy music? And for me, uh, starting way back then, this was the uh, mid 90s, early 90s, uh, there wasn't really CDDB, there wasn't anything at that point. And so I started building my own music database as a kid. Uh, and I've basically yeah. never stopped. <laughs> and so uh, in wow. 1997, I was really lucky. And as a high school student, I was one of the very first employees at, at a company called Mood Logic, the really old folks uh, listening to this will remember it. But uh, at the time, there were basically two companies putting music onto the internet. There was Liquid Audio, uh, who has a lot of well-known alumni in, in still active in the music tech space, and another called Mood Logic. And we were some of the very first hmm. people to start to codify music by mood, by genre, other information that uh, is famous from the Pandora music genome, and, mm -hmm. and really start to put it up. And so every day, don't tell my teachers, but I was sneaking out of class, going to the computer lab. And for a dollar a song, I would sit there and listen and codify all the, I was the R&B guy at the time. And I was, you know, 15 years old. 
<laughs> and and uh, that was my first job at a music tech startup, and it kind of kindled this this love that I'm I'm you know still writing today of helping people understand music, access music faster, figure out what makes sense for them from an automated recommendation standpoint, uh, and just mm -hmm. continuing to share the love for music that I have deeply, uh, and, and I believe you know most human beings have whether they realize it or not. You know the question I would ask just popped into my head what's missing in the music industry what's needed we know that ai is a big influence right now we're going to get into all of that technology and everything you know in our uh, great interview here uh, but uh, just what's missing like you've been at it when you were 15 years old you would add it with metadata and information and, and all of that behind the scene as they say now behind the scene is no more the curtain it's behind the scene in the computer you know in the tech side of it you know so, so what's, what's missing? Yes. Well, I, I think, you know, at the, at the core, music is such a central part of everyone's life. And I think in our modern sort of Western environments, yeah. it's not necessarily valued um, in the same way that, that you might see in, in other cultures throughout time and, you think? and throughout space. I, I think you so. Think? I, think, I think our we, people enjoy music. They love it. It's an important part of their lives. But from a yeah. business perspective, it's not valued the same way that other parts of uh, media and entertainment are. And you can see that in the price that people are willing to pay for streaming music versus streaming hmm. video or other entertainment. I mean, music became so international because of, because of all the streaming platforms, you know, sure. very international. Yeah, I mean, so but, the culture kind the, of, it's all yeah. together now. But look at the way that uh, a service like Spotify or Apple Music is able to price their product versus the way that yeah. a product like Netflix is able to price and continually raise their pricing. Look at the cost to go see a film versus the cost and the, the margins on something like a concert. Uh, look at the way that artists who make music well, uh, monetize their work yeah. versus other, other mediums. And you'll see that there's a wide discrepancy in value creation well i mean we don't want to take away anything from the creative arts and creative artists in both sides of the equation i sure. would say but how long how much and how long would it take to make a movie you're talking sure. minimum like i'm talking about independent some of the good independent in the millions anything beyond that studio we're talking 50 200 100 million 300 million a year worth of work two years worth of work and then, yes, but also look how many valued high-end, how should I say, or legit. We're not taking the, the credit from any uh, streaming platform, but which one is the top five film platform or the top four? You got Netflix, you got Hulu, you got Amazon, you got uh, Tubi. Who else you got? I'm sure I'm missing a couple of more. Sure, sure. There's there's many of them. I, but, I think uh, it, you can yeah. really count the big ones. You can count them in one hand. Disney Plus, I think, isn't, you know, so what about five, six, five? Like the major labels, you say five, I would say platforms. But how many uh, recognized music platforms? Oh, my God, it's about a ton of them. Sure, sure. So there's a ton. lot of competition at that level in terms of delivering music and video content to consumers. I, I think when I think about it, I'm I'm focused on the fact that the average musician, according to you know U.S. economic surveys, makes yeah. around fourteen thousand dollars a year, uh, and in many cases that's the average. And so most people are making less. 
And that's not a livable wage here in the United States. Uh, and when you look at that relative to other parts of the entertainment industry, yes. yeah. it's so much lower. And so really my, my concern is how can you create great art if you're struggling to live? How many songs are being released on, uh, uh, on Spotify on a monthly basis? You know, thousands, right? And, and we'll quickly get into the millions. And so yes. that, there's a difference yes. between the unit economics of a song and the ability for a musician to yes. continue to generate a living wage. And those are different and things. A, yes, right? and the platform exclusivity. When you go to movies, movies are being exclusive to Hulu. It's being exclusive to, uh, uh, you know, Disney Plus, exclusive to uh, uh, Amazon or, you know, Prime or uh, uh, what do you call it? Or Tubi or, uh, you know, um, what is it? Netflix or Apple. Sure. The exclusive. So they have their own exclusive yeah. movies. So I thought it's funny. We had this conversation yesterday uh, with somebody from Vamper. We were talking about it. That is the music industry future going to be end up exclusivity. If you sign to this platform, your music only will be on that platform. And that's it. It cannot be. I don't want to use the word pimped around everywhere. But is it going to be that way? Is that where the music industry going to be heading in that direction? I, I mean, I think you're, you're asking what's missing from music. That was the original question. And yes. I think what we've identified yes. here is that there's a discrepancy between the way that music is delivered and consumed right now and, and the value creation that needs to happen. Um, and, and really, so much of that to points out the, the fact that you're just talking about, there is more music released than, than is ever listened to every year, right? Correct. The vast majority of music is not listened to more than one time. Yes. Um, yes. And so you have this problem where there's lots of music coming out and yeah. it's not reaching the ears of listeners. And Correct. so really, in many ways, that's sort of like a almost like a discovery problem. Uh, if we want songs to be listened to, and, and certainly the people making those songs want them to be heard, uh, we need to do as an industry a better job of connecting those ears and those songs and how that happens exactly from a business perspective, from a technology perspective. That's what I think we're all working on as an industry. Well, you know what? You're going to have the solution. We're going to have to work together to find a solution. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> the man with the hat. I, think it's, uh, I don't. I don't think it's a, a one size fits all problem, and I don't think there's a silver <laughs> bullet, right? Um, I've been working on this a long time, but I, I think that there are better improvements along every step in the chain. Yes, and that's what I'm really focused on: is for each part of the delivery yes. of you know the creation of the song all the way through yes. to the delivery to your ears. Yes. There, there are yes. improvements that we can make together. Amazing. This interview, I could see it's going to be full of insight, insightful things. Full. And I think <laughs> our listeners and viewers are going to definitely enjoy it, Michael. Thank um, you. Michael, could you tell us um, how your music studies at UCLA influence your career in tech and music industry, especially your work with companies like Amazon, Apple, AT&T, Hulu, Pandora, Sony, and Spotify? Sorry for mentioning, but I had to. It's an impressive list. Thank you. Uh, you know, I've been lucky to work with a lot of great companies and a lot of companies that touch many yes. millions or billions of people. And that's that's a fun thing. But I, I think at the end of the day, we're talking about my interest in ethnomusicology. That is my degree from UCLA as well. And really, at, at its heart, it's understanding how human beings interact with music and music culture. And when you're working with a major company like a Walmart or an Amazon, the, the needs that they have are the same reasons, I think, why people want mm -hmm. to go to concerts, why when they're happy or sad or at any point in their life, 
there's a soundtrack yes. uh, to to whatever it is they're living in that moment. And and so when we're working with these larger companies, usually what they're trying to do is take the cultural resonance and the feelings engendered by music and attach mm -hmm. it to their product or experience. And so whether that's helping bring music onto smart devices like TVs or smart speakers, whether that's getting music into stores, or mm -hmm. that's bringing something like a Walmart into a, a music product experience, that's what they're trying to do is to garner that cultural relevance and that immediacy mm -hmm. that you get from music uh, and attach it to their brand. I think the other important piece that is often left out is sort of the cultural relevance. And so when you see something like a well-known hip hop artist, it, mm -hmm. there's a set of cultural expectations. And with a brand, if you can attach yourselves to that, to that culture, mm -hmm. you're going to gain brand relevance in a way that is otherwise very slow and difficult to build. Um, but there's an immediacy with those artists who carefully cultivate their look, their feel, their sound, and is, of course, part of that genre and that cultural milieu. Um, which has developed sort of organically. And, and so brands are looking to attach to that. And typically what we're trying to do on the music side of things is, is measure that, help mm -hmm. them do it in an authentic and meaningful way and make sure it doesn't feel uh, inorganic because fans pick up on that immediately. If it Correct. smells like it's a, a cheap logo slap, uh, yeah. it doesn't help the brand, it doesn't help the fans, no. it doesn't help the artist. And so we need to avoid that whenever we can. And, and it has make to sure be that we're really authentic. Yes, yes, that's right. Us, yeah. In some ways, I, I feel almost like there's like people working in music have a responsibility mm -hmm. uh, to be guardians of of the culture. And there are so many temptations, whether it's financially driven or otherwise, uh, to cheapen that. And the most important thing we can do is is to help it grow. Uh, and that doesn't mean that it stays static, right? Culture is always changing and, and evolving, mm -hmm. um, but it it has to. It has to attach itself in a way that, that benefits everyone. Well explained. Um, you've worked with big names, again, like Amazon and startups like Lander. And how did these experiences shape your understanding of the music industry, especially in the context of AI and your role as a board member uh, at Lander Audio Inc. and an advisor at Seven Seas Music Inc.? Sure, sure. Great question. I think people often ask, you know, what's the difference between being on a board versus working at a company? Correct. Um, and I've had the ability to to do both in my career. Uh, mm -hmm. I think with a board member, it's a, it's it's a funny thing because you're helping advise, you're helping guide the company, you're helping make very critical decisions for the company, but mm -hmm. you're not there day to day. And no. so you're doing your best to understand the situation. You're not on the operation side. Yes. That's right. And so yeah. you have to approach with care. I, yes. I think for I advise a number of companies, and that's part of my day-to-day -day business. And really, I, I think of it similarly to the way a doctor takes the Hippocratic Oath, where the very first principle is do no harm. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I've, you know, learning is often about making mistakes. I've made more mistakes than I've had successes. And so the first thing I'm trying to do, whether I'm advising a company as a board member uh, or through pure advisory, is to help them avoid mistakes that I've made in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that's uh, counseling them. Sometimes I've hopped on a plane and gone and shaken the CEO and said, don't do this thing. You're about to make a huge mistake. Uh, and usually at the end of the day, that's helping them avoid either a major expense or a major mm -hmm. pitfall or trap that they may not see from their current perspective. And, and so that's, I think, the difference between a board member and an and, and employee is the distance that you have gives you a measure of perspective. 
uh, that you don't necessarily have if you're in the trenches day after day. Interesting. Uh, at Sopanova, uh, uh, you focus on growing users, engagement, and revenue uh, through partnerships. And partnerships yeah. is something that really extremely important. Can you explain how AI and technology are changing how creators and business engage, our businesses engage with audiences and how you've applied, for example? Sure. Well, whether it's a startup or a large organization, the reality is that you never have enough time, you never have enough people, you never have enough resources. And so AI, I think beyond being a buzzword, it's it's a tool to enable you to do more. And mm -hmm. Like any tool, it's, it's critical that we know how to use it. So at Supernova, um, our, our core members are all experts in generative AI for text, for images, and increasingly mm -hmm. for sound. And mm -hmm. uh, you can go to our website. Everything you saw there is AI generated to the point where other companies are now coming to us and saying, look, we know you're not artists, but we love the look of, of what you've built, and we want you to build something similar for us. Not something yeah. we ever intended to do, but it's mm -hmm. happening. Uh, and for the companies that we advise, we're using generative AI, so that could be as simple as things like uh, Bard or ChatGPT to help generate yeah. uh, content. But I think most importantly, what you're starting to see is, yeah, more and more people are starting to use AI in the workplace. There are fewer people who know how to use it well. And, mm -hmm. and so what we've started to do is to counsel our clients on how to use AI as a starting place, but then how mm -hmm. to tweak it with a human touch. Sometimes that's a human touch of better prompts. Sometimes that's a human touch of actually going in and editing by hand, and it's a case-by-case -case situation. Um, but certainly with all of the clients that we're working with, we're using AI for new client development. We're using AI for outreach and customization. Uh, and I, I think there is probably very few areas where we're not currently using AI in some form. Interesting. AI becoming a, a, a major important factor or tool that's being used. Yeah. Which is, and I, I mean, yes. look, I, I think that it, it, it's in some ways it feels like, you know, suddenly in 2023, 2022, AI just showed up. But I can tell you as someone who's been working in technology for a very long time, this is this is the next step in a very, very long evolution. Right. We used to call it machine learning before it was yes. machine learning. We had other terms. And I've, I started with bag of words techniques uh, 15 years ago and even earlier. Um, a lot of the stuff we were talking about in the in the late 90s was recommendation. And at the end of the day, depending on how you're building a recommender system, it, yeah. in, in many ways, it's it's related to what we now call AI. And so a lot of this is marketing applied to computer science techniques that have been around for a very, very long time and that people have already been using. They're just being exposed to it in a different way. And I think that's that's the change is that these tools have gone from being in the hands of experts Mm -hmm. uh, computer engineers and scientists to being usable by a larger swath of the population. And so, so much of the innovation that we're seeing now is really more in how people are accessing these tools through the user experience, the UI and the UX versus mm -hmm. actually, um, you know, some of the changes in, in the underlying computer science. Interesting. Uh, you have experiences or experience in strategic partnership. That's your thing. And product marketing. Can yep. you share challenging project or partnership you've managed successfully, such as your role as a vice president uh, of business development at uh, Bitsky, ByteDance, sure. head of distribution business development for North America, or director of business development at the strategic partnerships at Pandora? 
Sure, sure. So in, in all of those roles, what ties all of them together, I think, mm -hmm. is that focus on emerging technology. And, and so in those cases, I've been tasked with taking our new technology-based product, whether that's, we talked about music streaming, we were just talking about NFTs, yes. AI, um, regardless of what it is, it's something that's new in the world. And people are curious, other companies are curious, but at, at the end of the day, they have to balance that desire to try and experiment new technology with their brand reputation, with the value that they provide to their customers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the heart of any strategic partnership, and I, I teach this uh, class uh, at times, is how to set up that win-win relationship. Uh, in a sales relationship, you're often trying to say, you're going to give me money, and in exchange, I'll deliver a good or a service. Yes. And it's less clear, but it needs to be more equal. And what that means is that there needs to be a win-win. We're going to deliver our product to your users, but the benefit that your users is going to receive is so much higher. Uh, and in many cases, the value is A, hard to quantify, and B, something that can't be bought or sold, right? That's a, a really direct integration between two applications. That's a really direct integration between two customer bases. Yes. Uh, and so that's, that's the difference there. And what I'm often doing when I'm bringing this new technology is I'm explaining it to that other business who might not be as technology forward. They might be more conservative. And so their primary concern is, you know, I'm excited about this, but I want to make sure that A, there's great value for my user base or my company. B, how am I going to continue to monetize off of this? And C, what are the, the promises and safeguards put in place to protect my brand reputation and the services that I'm providing? So I've worked a lot with telecoms, for instance, um, here in mm -hmm. North America. And you're asking kind of one of the, the fun and more challenging projects. Yes. While I was at TikTok at ByteDance, um, yeah. we created the first uh, AI-powered augmented reality multiplayer game. We actually have a patent, I think, that's coming out soon that you'll be able to read. But um, mm. the idea behind that was that you and I could be in different places on our phones and we could start to play a game. So in this game, it was kind of like a drawing, painting game in an open world mm. augmented reality overlay. Really, really futuristic stuff. And we brought it to a telecom. They said, this is super cool, but we're not sure our users will know exactly what to do. And so, so much of the partnership was around how do you explain this to get the telecom on board, right? They are not only a federally regulated entity, so they have very strict rules they have to follow. They're also yes. such an important part of everyone's life, right? Your phone is in mm. many ways an extension of you at this point. Yes. And they have to be very sensitive yes. to bringing uh, partners in who can make sure that they're following those important guidelines. And, and so, so I much see. of a partnership like that is not just about the fun sort of consumer experience you see at the end of the day. It's about educating the businesses. How do we work together? And how do we show um, both contractually and through our actions that we are able to work with you and that we're able to follow your guidelines, especially when you have uh, such strict rules in place to, to protect security and to protect the, the consumer experience that, that's so critical uh, for communication. Mm -hmm. And the integrity of the brand. Absolutely. Yes. Right. That's yeah. number one. And so you have to demonstrate that um, every day with all of your team. Usually there are very large teams working on these types of integrations. It can be upwards of 100, sometimes even 200 people that will touch projects like these on, on both sides. Right. So you're talking about a very, very large group of people coming yeah. together. And usually it's someone like myself who is helping 
uh, manage that very large cross-functional team to make sure that everything uh, fits together smoothly. Yes, and for them to see the growth factor in it, you know, the growth of the brand and the, you know, the growth within the brand inside. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, given your uh, expertise in AI music, what exciting developments do you expect in the music tech field? And how might they impact creators and listeners in the future? Uh, considering uh, your exclusive experience, or extensive, excuse me, not exclusive, extensive, extensive experience with companies like Pandora, ByteDance, Lander, and Seven Seas, Inc., and et cetera. Yeah, I, I, I think it's my strong belief that AI is already touching more areas of content creation than people yes. recognize. Yes. I think one thing to think about that we kind of often forget is it's not just the generative AI in terms of creating content. Of course, that's already happening. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's been happening for a long time, right? Anyone who's ever listened to electronic dance music has listened to presets. They've listened to a Correct. producer who's hit randomized three times and said, wow, that sounds pretty cool, and I'm going to make a track out of it. Uh, and that's an mm -hmm. early form of what we're talking about here. I think the next mm -hmm. big shift is that people are going to go um, further and start to use generative AI via prompts to create music. Um, and that's already started to happen. And I think we're going to see that really explode over the next It's happening, you know, it's already happening. Yeah, it's happening. Exactly. I think people yeah. are worried. And I, I saw a, a thread on social media the other day where someone said, you know, how do musicians stand up against AI? And the answer is they're, they're not going to. Some people will. You can go right now and get a horse and ride a horse and go to the farrier and have it shooed the way that people were doing hundreds of years ago. That's fine. And there are still people that do that. And that's wonderful. But mm -hmm. most of us drive in a car and, and ride in an airplane. And and the same thing is going to be happening for music, right? Most content creators are going to be using generative AI for most of their content creation. Yes, and, and have their touches doing, on it, as you said earlier. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and to do that I, manual editing. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's the same. Some people still edit audio tape with a razor blade, and most of us use digital audio workstations, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the older methods don't go away. They still absolutely have a very valuable place. But for, for most people, they're going to use the newest tools. And mm -hmm. right now, those newest tools are generative AI. Uh, and, and that's exciting. That unleashes, I think, what we're all working for, which is greater human potential and creativity. And as long as that's at the core of what we're doing, uh, I'm not worried about it at all. I, I'm excited about it. And I think the other piece of it that we forget is on the listener side. Uh, and so we're going to, and we are using now, AI and other recommendation techniques to, we were talking about that problem of solving, getting the right song to the right listener at the right time. That's always been core to the listening experience. And so what we're going to be doing in the future as an industry is using better recommendation techniques to improve that. And in some didn't, cases, those songs didn't... might not exist until the moment that the user requests it. And as yes. we learn more about personalization, the user might not explicitly be requesting it, but we're using sensor information from the environment personal to data understand and recommend yes and to create yes. at the moment that the person needs it yes right and yes. that's really what i'm most excited about is using that sensor information to create music that fits that moment uh, and i think that that's what's really coming over the next few years i mean the recommendation thing it's been happening with uh, spotify for a while already they already i remember they bought a company years some years ago and they implemented it 
and made it part of their uh, services. Sure, every, every company has yeah. recommendation, but yeah. what we don't really have quite yet is the creation of music for that situation in that moment. And I think that that's what's coming. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you saying that the next thing is will be for the DSPs themselves will have the recommend, they will actually generate music based on the music that you listen to? Yes. I mean, certainly Spotify and other DSPs are certainly playing around with that right now. I, I think it goes beyond <clears throat> the DSP because if there are systems to create music, why can't that be built into the smartphone? Directly? Excuse me. Why, why yeah. do I need a DSP for that particular use case? If my smart home knows that I'm walking home, if there are EEG sensors built into my earbuds that can tell how I'm doing, if I've given access to other types of personal information and I walk in the door, in the near future, we should be able to reasonably estimate how I'm doing, how I'm feeling, and what music would fit that situation. And similar to the way that we train other recommendation algorithms, that will get much better over time as it learns me, as it learns my family. Mm -hmm. and, and it should be able to create situational music uh, that, that fits the moment. Interesting. And when um, you think about like a jazz club, when you think about those great performances that you've seen, those really intimate performances, whether that's a DJ or an artist, that's what they're doing, right? We call it reading the room. And what I think is happening is machines are learning to read the room. They're learning to read you how you respond and react, what are the other things that are going on in the world and in, in our yeah. lives, and starting to personalize based on that information. Uh, mm -hmm. And so what has been missing has been the ability to generate great music, and we are getting so much closer every day on that on that front. So this is going to reshape record labels, production houses, artists, as, you know, Yes, there will be still people like to go to concerts, fans of artists, you know, visual, physical artists that go on, buy the tickets and watch. But we're still going to reshape the whole thing. If what are you saying, that's the next thing as far as where uh, streaming platforms start making their own music based on just, you know, on the listeners, what kind of music they like and just adding more to it. Yes. Yeah, I, I, mm -hmm. I do think it will reshape the the and, and and again that doesn't mean that that traditional artist and fan relationship goes away these things will exist side by side uh well, and there's a pie there's only a pie and you can slice that pie to so many pieces if you know what i mean so uh, how much space will be there's new artists coming out every day the record labels releasing new you know new artists new songs new albums new music and then you got the independent artists and then you get the small labels and you have the production houses. Now you have also, you add to that pie that you're slicing. Uh, also the, the, the platforms themselves making their own music. Yes. And I, yes. I, I don't think any of that goes away. I think the pie will continue to grow. Yes. There's an, a limit to the amount of music that a human being can listen to in a day. I don't <laughs> yes. think we're anywhere near that saturation point. So if I'm and the I, platform, I would rather yeah. make music instead of paying royalties on other music that I'm going to recommend or feed to the listeners, then I'll make the kind of music they want. They're, they're into jazz. They're into oldies. They're into world music. They're into bachata. They're into certain Latin sounds they love, whatever, rock, 
you know, pop so we can, but again, there's no vocals there. It's only instrumentals we're talking about. Are we talking about also vocals with vocals? Well, I think we've all seen the ability of yes. generative AI to start to clone vocals and create interesting vocals. And I should be really clear. I don't think that people are going to start listening to a hundred percent generated music only. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. some people will prefer that, but I think at least for the foreseeable future, you're going to have a mix, right? Mm -hmm. There are times when that song that I know and I love hits me so deeply and it's what I want to listen to. Mm -hmm. There's other times where I'm sort of in a discovery mode and I want to listen to something new. Mm -hmm. And then there are times where I'm doing a task and I need some background music. And those are times mm -hmm. where I think you're going to see generative AI shine uh, over the next few years as, as the technology improves. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So what we've seen is it's, it's, you know, it's annoying to like connect your speaker to Bluetooth, your phone to Bluetooth. It's annoying to, to have that cold start problem of what do I want to listen to right now? Uh, and so there are so many times where you might want to listen to music, but it's not very convenient to get it started. And so if we can just overcome that barrier first of, hey, here's something that we're just going to start playing, um, where you have the explicit ability to play it in a unprompted fashion mm -hmm. uh, versus having to explicitly go and turn on um, you know, whatever means you use to listen to music, that's going to unlock a huge amount of listening that, that doesn't really exist right now. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I think soon enough, the new device is going to be coming up and, uh, you know, smartphone within time, they'll be absolute, they'll be part of the past. I'm sure yeah. so you've seen some of the new technologies that being introduced is no longer being teased with being introduced actually and devices. And just my thinking will be, I think, that certain platforms will have an exclusive deal with that particular uh, carrier, that particular device, and including in your subscription, you would be able that your your I guess communication subscription, you'll be able to listen to that particular music on that platform only. I think it's gonna kind of go that route. Again, this is me, you know, um, my kind of analogy of you know from what I've been seeing lately out there. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what's interesting along those lines is when you look at a catalog um, like Amazon Music, which has yes. this strategy for a number of years of, of taking a more limited catalog. Again, going back to the principle we were talking about that most songs are not listened to. Uh, and Correct. so if, if that's really the case um, for the more casual listener, it probably makes sense to have a more limited catalog. Uh, and if that enables the the company to take a smaller catalog and have a higher ROI. Um, there's a lot of value in that. I think the other thing that we've seen is the rise of more niche or genre specific DSPs. And so if I love mm -hmm. a certain type of music, mm -hmm. I want everything in that genre, but I don't care as much about the other stuff. I, I don't need that broad access. And then there are certainly other music fans who want and are willing to pay for access to everything. Um, because they have a, a broader palette or they have a different set of use cases. And so I think, uh, mm -hmm. like I said before, there's not a one size fits all, right? Music is such a universal that we need to have different tools and, and different catalogs for different people in different situations. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, but, uh, you know, would some love... people love that exclusive idea and be happy to pay for it? I, I yes. think so. And, you know, we've seen Neil Young and Pono, we've seen other types of uh, attempts, and I, I, I don't think that idea is going to go away. I think that's going to continue to to find footing with certain listeners. And it's it's more of a matter of finding the right marketing 
finding the right set of people and the right set of, of catalog, uh, and then matching those two things together, which is, is harder than it sounds uh, for sure. But I, I think the idea of exclusivity works if you have the songs and only the songs that people want, or what we've seen in research where, I, where I've been at different companies is people, uh, especially here in the United States, feel very comfortable subscribing to multiple video services. But because of broad catalog availability, there's a feeling that you don't need to do that for music, that you should just have one music subscription and multiple video services. And yeah. if that starts to change, if people say, well, I've got, you know, seven different video subscriptions and I'm OK having two or three or four music subscriptions to get different things. Yeah, uh, that might change the calculus for people as well. Absolutely. Um, in your opinion, what is the some of the common misconceptions uh, people have about the music tech industries? Um, well, I think people have lots of different ideas. I, I think, um, you know, personally in, in the more technology oriented sphere that I work in, yeah, I, I get to work with artists less. Uh, and so I'm not always hanging with Jay-Z or whomever people <laughs> might associate uh, with music these days. But, um, you know, a lot of it really is is pretty deep technical work. And so a lot of it is really related to other types of technology uh, more than the artist management and artist services. Um, mm -hmm. You know, basically every music company has a division that does that. And they're often, unfortunately, quite separate from the technology development. And I think there's actually a, a great benefit in trying to bring those two types of teams together more closely. Together, yes. And really what that um, stems is is the difference between sort of, we call it LA versus San Francisco, but you've got the tech versus the, the, the you know, creator side of the business. And I think there's a lot of power in trying to bring those two worlds together as together. much as possible. Collaboration is often a key element in the music and tech worlds. Uh, can you, or could you share a memorable collaboration, a story, uh, or someone you've worked with who left an impact on you? Sure. I mean, I think one of the best examples of that bringing Hollywood and um, and and Silicon Valley together uh, is someone I consider a mentor and learned so much from. His name's Ty Roberts, and he yes. was one of the very first people to work on music uh, at Apple Computer under Steve Wozniak, and then did uh, some really groundbreaking work with David Bowie, Laurie Anderson, and others on the very first interactive CD-ROMs. So some of the first time that people have tried to bring together music and video in a, in a digital format. Uh, I got to work with him when I was director of strategy at Grace Note, which was part of Sony at the time. And um, mm -hmm. what Ty showed me was how to look at a market, mm -hmm. figure out what's happening next. So the same emerging technology topics that we were talking about. And then I think the really hard part there is timing the market. Uh, if you spend a lot of time forecasting technology trends, you yeah. get into a place where you're sort of ahead of the market and you, you can see trends that are going to happen, but they might not be happening for like five years. And five years is a really long time in business. And if you're five years too early, mm -hmm. probably too early to be commercially successful. And Correct. so a lot of this is knowing what's going to happen, but really trying to figure out what's going to happen in the next 18 months. Because that's something that is easier to commercialize and easier to show a return on investment uh, from a product development or a, a sales perspective. Uh, and I learned a lot about that from Ty um, and, and others on his team, like Peter Demaria, Marcus Kramer, and, and others. Um, and th they showed me how important it is to get the timing right 
So it's not just <laughs> the idea. People think they have an idea and they're going to go off and it's going to be successful. Uh, but so much of it is meeting uh, the market where the market is and what it's ready for. Mm -hmm. And if you have an idea that's too futuristic, uh, people are going to either call you crazy, which might be true, or they're going to say, I'm not ready for this. Um, and, you know, generative AI is a great example where uh, a lot of these tools and techniques have been around for a while, but the market wasn't really ready until now. Uh, and, and so what we're seeing now is the, the market meeting the technology. Uh, and that's when you really have magic happen and you have tools and techniques that the whole world is excited about. And it's moving fast. You, you have to say it. It's moving yep. fast. Not because, we, because a lot of people have been working on it for a while, but now we get to see a lot of the fruits that are coming up. You know, they've been planting the seeds for a while. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, in your line of work, how do you stay updated uh, on the latest trends, innovation, changes in the industry, and how important for you to continue to learn? You know, the, the thing for me about emerging technology broadly and music technology specifically is that I love it. It's all I want to do most days. And so for me, you know, sure, sometimes it feels like work, but the idea of, of discovering new companies, working on new problems, uh, new things to try, uh, it never gets old for me. And so I'm always scanning the market, whether that's things like social media, Twitter, uh, attending conferences like Music Biz or South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love all of it, and I love to try and learn as much as I can uh, when possible. I'm reading research reports from organizations like Media that do a great job. And then I think the most important thing is just checking in with people. So as a partnership executive, I'm constantly calling people in my network and trying to learn. Uh, and I, I never turn down an introduction, um, especially you know, there, there's just always new people coming into this space. And I, I think that everyone has something to share. Uh, so whenever I can, I'm, I'm learning from new people, meeting new people. And I think all of that helps me create mental models um, that combined with the experience of things I've seen in the past, help me predict where the industry is going in the future and how my clients can, can slot into that future. Amazing. Uh, you've been in this game for a long time, as you mentioned earlier, since you were 15 years old. So yeah. I'm sure a lot of our listeners and viewers, they're going to be extremely inspired by your story and what you've done and how do you being involved in so many things, having the time, uh, at least in the day, to run many different things. So you ba basically wear too many different hats, which is amazing. <laughs> I shouldn't say too many, but it's never enough, but amazing. So a lot of our listeners are going to be inspired. So how any tips for them? You know, people who are starting out in the business, if they decided to take your path or your kind of line of work or other, or just carve their own way or their own path in this industry. Any tips, yeah, I, advice, I, please? Sure. I, I think, you know, just get started. Just like I was an 11-year-old kid starting to make my own database because that's what I saw was missing, right? Uh, and so when you find something, as many tools as there are out there, none of them are perfect. None of them are exactly what you might need. And so I think starting with your own needs as a, as a musician or as a listener and, and going from there, what are the pain points that I have? What do I want solved? Uh, that's always the number one place for, I think, everyone to start. Um, you know yourself better than anyone else, um, if you'll admit it. And from there, you can start to develop tools. Um, and so the startups that I've worked on and the things that I've been most proud of have all come from problems that I've, I've had with my own listening and, and musical career. And I'd encourage everyone to, to start there and then grow from there. Do you feel there's still a lot of tools missing? Every day. Currently right now. Every day. Every day. 
every day or or problems that are unoptimized, right? Uh, you know, Bob, you were mentioning a lot of different parts of the industry. I think in yeah. every part of the industry, what you're seeing is that there are there's always places that can be improved, right? And, and technology uh, outpaces business quite often. It always outpaces government. It always yes. outpaces regulation. And so in each of those spaces, there are improvements where the technology can make um, can make those processes better. You know, a great example would be metadata. No one likes to type in metadata for their songs. Mm -hmm. Let's just get that right. That's that's a huge thorn in the side of the industry that prevents yeah, nobody's from being, paying attention to. Well, like being I, there ignored, are certainly some people that aside. do it. There yeah. are people that do it, but there's always more room for improvement, right? And, and yes. so, how can we use something like generative AI and large language models mm -hmm. to reduce the need for human input of metadata? Great. That's a massive area with massive time and efficiency savings for. All, all sorts of parts of, of the music industry. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's just one. And I think there are so many examples like that where a smart person could, could tackle that problem. And that's at least one company, if not many, uh, that's delivering mm -hmm. a lot of value to, to multiple customers. Um, and I, I see that in every part of the value chain that I look at. So I think there's a huge opportunity to continue improving uh, this space. Interesting. Very good. Very good advice. Um, uh, so I'm sure everybody. All of our listeners and viewers are going to find this incredibly, incredibly insightful and helpful information. Uh, before we wrap it up, anything that you personally or the companies that you on board or you work with or you own, um, coming up with anything new that you want to mention, plug in, promote, so our listeners can go and watch and see or somebody's inspired or somebody needs help. Uh, you know, they're a new tech startup in the music industry and they need help. They need funding. They need to reshape. What they do and if it's the right thing, their pitch deck and all of that. Sure. Well, everyone's in, invited to go check out uh, the Supernova website, gosupernova.xyz. I'm on LinkedIn all day, so if people want to send me a message, that's a great place to do it as well. Um, and I, I, you know, I think more than anything, excited about what we're going to see at South by Southwest. Um, mm -hmm. Working with a new, very cool company called Voya. Uh, Voya. That is V-O-I-A. It's live in the App Store now. And it enables anyone to make an incredible music video right from their bedroom. Uh, and I think mm. those are the types of tools that you'll start to see more and more of where you as a person in your home, you as a person without a lot of formal or, or specific training in music and, and content creation generally, uh, will have the same availability and access that, that professionals do, right? And bringing the cost of creation, bringing the tools, uh, into the hands of more people, I think is something that uh, is very exciting for, for the next few years. Great. You know, I have to say this interview and conversation, Michael, been incredibly insightful. Also for me, you know, there's so much information that, I, you know, you always hear it first on Soundbreaker. I'm literally yeah. going to take this and make a book out of it because there's so much information and about the music tech and AI environment and how it's reshaping and what's the future look like. This has been great. Great interview. Uh, this concludes today's episode of Soundbreaker. Please make sure to follow us on socials and stay tuned to our new episodes. Michael, again, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Great information. I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you very much, Bob. Appreciate it. My pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share the Soundbreaker podcast. And if you are joining us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time.